Salutations, listeners. Steve Alas Valeo. Valer Magulis. Nano Nano. Thank you for tuning in. This is Three Men in a Basement, and we are the Ultra Crepidarians. My name is Colin McLeod. Mark Hulp. Action Jackson. Xmas Jackson, Flax and Waxon. In this podcast, we review movies and we deliver to you, the listener, an average schmuck's opinion about hidden gems in the wide world of cinema. In the show, we try and target movies that are not absolute blockbuster smashes. We also look for ones that are not so obscure that, you know, if you were scrounging around, you couldn't get your hands on a copy. Instead, we like to aim for that delightful sweet spot of movies, ones that, in our opinion, too few people have seen, ones that maybe you saw them when they first came out and you're wondering if they deserve another watch. We like to review these movies and then let you know whether or not they're worth um, pulling out and, what, hiring a uh, medieval pack of minstrels to reenact them? Yeah. Yeah, hitting up the Betamax. Yeah. Yeah, so listen to this podcast and, and we'll give you our completely worthless opinions about whether or not you should see these movies. I like to think my opinions are worthful. Worthful? Yeah, that's a word. Uh, mine's probably worth a quarter. Oh, more of a half dollar? Yeah. Or, that's a 25 cent piece, yeah, I guess. Yeah, it's a quarter dollar. I, I will go no more than a halfpenny and a threepence. Now, are halfpennies hmm. made of hay? Yes, All allegedly. Right. Gotcha. Com- Compressed allegedly. wheat. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, uh, what do we, uh, what do we watch this week? Oh, this week, in the 18th episode of the series, we wait, watched... Wait, did you say we're all adults now? I will not confirm or deny... We are now legal. I'm a big kid now. Wow, that bothered me. <laughs> As it should. That's I. I that is gonna haunt my dreams. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm calling back to Jane Lynch in Forty Year Old Virgin. She's like, <laughs> oh God. She say, "I'm very gentle, but I will haunt your dreams." <laughs> um, so we're 18 now. We are. Uh, we're episode 18, and we reviewed the movie. Fools rush in. And boy, do they. They do. Mm-hmm. I I believe they do. Not quite wise. That's what wise men say. <laughs> Which wise men are you talking to? Balthazar. Uh, yeah. Oh. Uh, I know that guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. That was one of the that was one of the wise men, right? So, I believe so. Like Balthazar, Casper. I swear to God, these are the names. I'm not making these up. <laughs> no, if I, I'm wrong, I'm gonna feel really bad. But no, I, I they do they're... have like really, really demented names. Hey, like that. if there's names like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I, I suppose Casper is not you know far stretched. Okay, I certainly did not hear what you said, but it sounded like words. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think he's familiar. I actually know these people. Yes, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yeah, his blank expression says everything. Yes. Rack, Shack, and Benny. Yes, I think so. Yeah, you didn't see Veggie Tales, did you? I I okay. Admittedly, uh, I drunkenly watched Veggie Tales once. I'm not sure how much of it I actually I actually watched, but not enough. No, I think it was just the right amount. To be honest, uh, I think I think I got just just as much as I needed. I don't think you did. Uh, okay, well we're we're getting off topic here. This I believe might be our first romance rom-com rom-com, rom-com yeah. yeah this and this is like the rom-com this like, is classic rom-com yeah like with the with respect to like the 90s i don't think you could choose a rom-com from the 90s that is more representative of the genre yeah you've got mail that's in there yeah yeah, yeah. okay so while yeah, you were sleeping could, i f-o-x return to me wait hang on f-o-x isn't that from uh one of them rom-coms F- yeah f-o-x 
I, that's all I got. Okay. I'm not recognizing <laughs> that. No, but if we Google Fox, okay. we'll get results and maybe at some point down the list, I'll be validated. I, you know? I think you're going to turn up Rupert Murdoch on that all Google right. search. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, no, totally, though. I mean, this box is in the same ring as You've Got Mail as While You Were Sleeping. Yeah. that. So if you've seen those movies, uh, oh, also on our list, French Kiss oh. with uh, Kevin Klein and, and Meg Ryan. Yeah, this is that kind of movie. So this movie came out February 14th, 1997. A very apt date to come out. What else happens on the 14th of February? Uh, all I know is that the world ended, actually, February 14th in the year 2016. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is a quasi-subtle Ghostbusters 2 reference. Yeah. If anybody's uh, uh, picking down what I'm picking up, what I'm putting down. You know, I'm picking down when you're putting up. I preferred the reboot. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right, so we're reviewing Fool's Rush In today. <laughs> uh, we hit 18 other movies. What, what, yeah, right. One hour and 49 minutes. Rated PG-13. Total, that's spot yeah, on. that's fair. Yep. Comedy, drama, romance. Nailed yes. It. 100%. But at the same time, I feel like those three categories collectively equal rom-com. Yeah. Yeah, rom-com is probably the most apt description for that. Mm-hmm. Who do we have in this movie? Well, we had uh, Chandler himself, uh, Mr. Matthew Perry. Miss Chandler Bong. Chandler Bong. Chandler Bong. Yeah, Matthew Perry, he, every time, you know, he plays a great Matthew Perry. And I think the Matthew Perry that he was in this was one of his best uh, Matthew Perrys yet. I would agree. Whoopa! <laughs> Just like that. You no, know, he really, you're right. I mean, he's got a very unique everything. Like, it's, delivery. Mm-hmm. But he, he does do Matt Perry in a lot of movies, and he this is no different, but he fucking crushes it. Like, yeah, it's the kind of person you needed for the role. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, his his character is meant to be very nervous. There's a lot of awkward humor in this movie, like a lot of like borderline cringy stuff where you're like, oh, I, we made that sound a lot during this movie. Like, yeah, I can't I can't imagine if I was in that situation. And Matt Perry's perfect for this role because he's got this like deer in the headlights look that he does, and it brings it home for this movie. Yeah, <laughs> who else we got? Salma Hayek, extremely, extremely attractive and talented. Um, you've seen her in quite a few movies. Um, Selena, she was in Dogma. She was in Wild Wild West. <laughs> with, she was great in that. She was. We actually just, uh, my in, wife and I just rewatched that recently. Was she in, um, oh man, it wasn't Desperado, was it? Oh, she was in uh, From Dust Till Dawn. That, oh. Yeah. oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, she's definitely, she's a pretty lady. She is gorgeous. <laughs> like, pretty lady, it doesn't do it justice. <laughs> like, she's pretty. <laughs> there, well said, Colin. There's, there's well, master of words, crafting your lexicon, my lexicon beautifully no sculpting it. Mm-hmm. She's pretty. Did we have that? <laughs> was anyone else in this movie? I, I I believe I saw someone else. So we had John Tenney. I knew his face, and I couldn't place him. IMDb helped me out here. He plays John Behan in Tombstone. Probably my favorite movie ever. If I'm if I'm going to be it's honest, not far off mine. Like that movie is the worst thing about Tombstone is that it ruins 
every other Western oh, you can yeah. possibly watch because everything will be held to that standard and it will f- come up short routinely. Yeah, you know what? Uh, what I always think about when I when I hear about the movie Tombstone, uh, I've never seen it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm glad that you guys your favorite movie. Maybe one day I'll see it. Maybe it, it'll happen. We do like a a disproportionate amount of cherry popping on Mark in this. Yeah, like, we do. It's fine. I I've come to enjoy it. Right. So yeah. <laughs> Who else we got in this movie? I'll be honest, no one that I recognize by face. There was uh, Shaban... What, what? Fallon Hogan. Shaban Fallon Hogan. Let me see if I can get our, our listeners acquainted with who this person might be. All I know is that I know Egger. And that wasn't Egger. It was like something was wearing Egger. Like a, like a suit. Like a, an Egger suit. <laughs> More sugar. <laughs> Yeah, that's definitely a Men in Black reference right there. Yeah, the so quintessential good. Men in Black reference. <laughs> She's so good in this movie and in Men in oh, Black. Uh, she also played a very subtle and delightful character in Forrest Gump, Dorothy Harris. <laughs> Mama said, I'm not supposed to take rides with strangers. It was a bus of school. Well, I'm Forrest, Forrest Gump, Dorothy Harris. Well, I guess we ain't strangers no more. <laughs> I guess we ain't. <laughs> so good. Uh, also, I can't remember her name, but uh, Sabrina's Aunt, aunt? Z- aunt Zelda. Aunt Zelda. So, from Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Not the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Very different show. No, the Melissa Joan Hart TGIF Sabrina. <sighs> her her aunt is in this. And I think that's that's pretty much it. Yeah. In terms there were, of... There were a couple other, you know... You might have seen them, but probably not. Uh, Okay, so IMDb's description of this movie. After a one-night stand with Alex, Isabel realizes that she is pregnant and they decide to get married. However, along with the marriage comes compromise of one's own cultural traditions. Wow, that was was actually pretty well penned. That was very apt. Yeah. Although I feel like I've just watched the movie again listening to that maybe it gives away too much but i don't know what do you guys think i i feel like they could have been a little more subtle especially with regards to the pregnancy it's sort of a big bomb to drop in the movie so if you read the summary or you know looked at the the back cover you would definitely see it coming which is kind of a disservice to the viewer yeah, I feel like a lot like a lot of that description, even though that is basically the entire movie, <laughs> uh, I feel like a lot in that description happens in like the first like 15 minutes of the movie. And it's, it, it is basically the premise of the movie. Like, mm-hmm. um, And rom-coms, in my experience, are just a little bit more resistant to the idea of like being spoiled by too much information. Well, like most rom-coms follow, they're pretty formulaic. Yeah. And it's just like, you know how it's going to go down. It's, it's the minutia that you watch rom-coms for. Mm-hmm. Mostly the calm part of it for me. Yes, I just love a good laugh. I I, I, I could deal with some rum, some CD rum. Yeah, some uh, rumba. Ooh, some DVD rum. Wife <laughs> and I were just talking about getting a rumba. <laughs> yes, the rumbas are everywhere. Yeah, yeah. The 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 robots are taking over. It's true. Never. It would drive the cats crazy, which I'm so excited for. Anyway, meanwhile, back in the lab, rom com. It was good. I enjoyed it. Yeah, would you recommend it? I, you know what? I'd recommend it. 
I, I actually had a, a decent good time. Um, I would also say for like a very different reason, I think this one is also best enjoyed with other people too. Yeah. You know, it's not the kind of movie that I would plug in just to watch myself, but the chuckles were good. I, I left it feeling just fine. As a rom-com should leave you. Yeah. Feeling warm and fuzzy. Speaking of fuzzy, uh, do you recommend it, Jackson? I do recommend <laughs> Speaking it. Speaking of fuzzy. Yeah, I'm fuzzy all over. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed this movie. I Like Mark said, I would definitely watch it with friends or family. Uh, I feel like my wife would definitely get a kick out of this movie. Ain't I, that a kick in the head? It really is. <laughs> and I just really enjoy Matthew Perry in general. You know, every time he shows up, it's sort of a, huh, haven't seen him in a while. Wonder what he's doing now. But, of course, this is from the 90s, so he was... Doing in, this. Yeah. And friends. And friends. He was, at, uh, he he was, was in the he middle was, of... Friends. He was doing his friends. Whoa. 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 Easy there. Hey, we all saw the show. We don't know if that's what was going on. Well. He was doing one friend. Yeah. Mo- Monica. Hopefully just the it one. Was, it was Monica. Bronsky? Yeah. We are in the 90s. This Whoa. was 97. That's, 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 a, that's a very to apt out. joke. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> very timely joke for you. Well, I thought it was really funny. I'm actually like really pleased to hear you say that you liked it, Mark, because... One of the things for me with this film is like I have a particular nostalgic attachment to this film and I feel like nostalgia, I love watching movies for nostalgic reasons, but I feel like nostalgia can really cloud your judgment about whether a movie is objectively good or not. So I always like watching it with people who haven't seen it as a sort of check on whether or not I'm enjoying this because of my rose colored glasses or if I'm enjoying this because it's really as good as I think it is. And I feel like this movie... I felt like I had it sized up, but I needed I needed that check, and Mark provided it. So I can confidently say this movie this movie done good. Yeah, I don't know. I I was the only one who hadn't seen this. Yeah. before tonight. Yeah, but you had only seen it once, correct? Yeah, I saw it probably ten years ago, and I enjoyed it then. But you know, fast forward ten years, you forget sure. a lot of the the you know fun minutia of a good rom com. Like I watch rom coms a lot more than i would care to admit and you know it's 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 still fun every time even though like i've seen return to me probably a hundred times i still laugh at all the same places Mm. so seeing a movie that i enjoyed once and then seeing it again is always refreshing but i enjoyed it just as much as the first time we always we always like a good romulus Comulus. yeah uh the one caveat i will give with this recommendation is like if you're the kind of person who's sensitive to rom-coms and I feel like it's kind of the inverse almost of a lot of our recommendations. I feel like a lot of our recommendations are like, if you're, if you're like me, (laughs) like if you're like a mid 20 something person from the Midwest, like you, you probably will like this movie. I feel like this is like the opposite of that, where it's like, if you're a mid 20 somethings dude from the Midwest, you're probably the least likely candidate to enjoy this movie. But I would still encourage you to go and see it because you might like it. And everybody else who doesn't fit that description you're probably going to love it. <laughs> uh, love might be a strong word, but you're at least going to get something out of it. You won't feel like you've wasted an hour and 49 minutes of your life. Ah, I like that little subtle tie in there. <laughs> okay, so are we ready to... Spoilers! Yes, spoilers! Yes, uh, okay, so... How's this open up? Yeah, so it opens up on Selma Hayek in an inner tube in central Mexico. She's floating down a river, just kind of chilling, and 
there's a quick exchange where it gets revealed that she's romantically involved with a cop of some sort, and these kids are asking her whether or not she's going to marry the cop, and she says, I don't know. And then it cuts to Matt Perry, who is in New York in a very fancy, very tall skyscraper-style building, and he is holding a swordfish. As you do in New York. That is as large as he is. And speaking Japanese. Yes. Very badly. He's like as got you headphones do in, in New York. <laughs> and he's like, Konichiwa! 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 <laughs> it's pretty hilarious. I mean, don't, don't listen to it if you like the sound of Japanese because it will be like it will hurt. Yes. It will be like a Ferrari crashing into your eardrum. It was it was Matt Perry though. Yeah. It was, yeah. He was parrying around. It was his that was his shtick. But yeah, no, it was it was funny. So he like goes up to what is obviously the floor of his company. Not his company, but the company he works for. And he goes into a Christmas party. Holding the swordfish. Holding the swordfish. And it gets revealed in that scene that he was planning on going to Tokyo for the next job. His job is to build and open nightclubs. He just got back from Miami, which is why he had the swordfish. And he thought he was going to Tokyo, which is why he was practicing his Japanese on the way in. And instead, a different person is getting the Tokyo account. And he is actually being sent to open a club in Las Vegas. So he goes to Las Vegas, and he's pretty much a workaholic. I mean, the guy is all day, every day. That's what he's doing. He's busting his ass to get this club open. Yeah, there's this woman who is close friends with the family. I think that's said a couple times. And he just, he's dodging her. You know, you don't know if there's like maybe some some weird past going on, but like he's not interested in striking up a relationship really with anyone. He's, he's all about his work. Dude, and she's like unsettling. Yeah. Can we talk about her for a second? Oh my god. Yeah, she's very persistent and not in a good way. Yeah, no, she looks like she just walked out of a Sears catalog from 1991. Or she fell off a conveyor belt. Like, she looks constructed. Barbie doll. Yeah, objectively, all of her features are very nice and she's very pleasant. She's not in anybody's face and everything seems fine, like, on paper. She's very impressive stats on paper. In practice, it's a little unsettling and a little, like, Stepford-y. Yeah. And I think they they meant to dial it up to that. And he's unsettled by her, even though he's sort of from her world. Their parents are friends, and they, they're both from Connecticut, and they go boating, and, you know, they know a whole bunch of people named Dottie and Todd. Um, they, she, he, is unco- he is unnerved by her, I think. Yeah. They never really go into why you know she she's always pleasant but like his his avoidance makes her character uncomfortable to watch i feel like her energy had all the same energy of a craigslist missed connection she was just sort of hunting him down and just showed up wherever he was and just needed to be around him and we don't really ever get why but the motivations are, the inference is pretty strong that she's, like, in love with him. Yeah, I think I think it's, like, the unsettling part for me is, like, I don't even think it's she's in love with him. It's, like, our families are friends. We've known each other our entire lives. We're destined to end up together. Like, it doesn't matter if I love you. It doesn't matter if you love me. This is the way it needs to end up. 
and I yeah. will make this sure. This is how I'm things done. are done. Yeah, this is how things are done. <laughs> but she's like politely aggressive. My father wants to marry me off to strengthen our relationship with France. If we're going to invade Luxembourg, goddammit, we need this marriage. That, that sounds about right. Strengthen the fiefdom, people. Think of the fiefdom. Nobody thinks of the fiefdom Think anymore. Think of the children. <laughs> what? <laughs> See, this is your problem, Mark. This is your fucking problem right here, is you never think of the fiefdom. I you, never. You you think of only the Jarls. I mean... And, and you know, are you what, saying what, I are the, be what are the, the Landon Gentry going to do if the fiefdom collapses? Yeah, where's the what, money, go Lebowski? Go work in the fields? Where are they going to... I don't... I mean, what are you talking about? Okay, God. Okay, so back on track here. Get this movie. This lady's making him real uncomfortable. Uh... <laughs> So she dodges him. She dodges him. He uh, he ends up going to this like a, like a Mexican themed restaurant. Yeah, I don't think that really matters. They're in Las Vegas, so they're they're just at a diner. Actually, I think he was there testing food. Yeah, for like cooks for the club. Oh, okay, like that's why he had a jillion kind of plates. He had like yeah. an eight foot table with dozens of entrees, and he was taking a bite out of each one, which I didn't really actually like ever pick up on before. But it was, I noticed it in this one that mm-hmm. like there's a fucking ton of food, and he was taking notes every time yeah. he took a bite. Yep, yep. So he has to go to the bathroom. As one does. Yep. And this is really the catalyst for the entire movie, the mm-hmm. him waiting in line for the restroom. And uh, Selma Hayek is... She's wrapping up a conversation on the payphone. It's a device that used to hang on the wall in public places that you would pay you would money. Insert, yeah, you would insert a quarter dollar. Um, which, which are... They're little round tokens that represent exactly one quarter of one dollar right i don't know why she didn't pull out her cell phone it just doesn't make sense to yeah me. honestly i think i think it was just she was just too lazy to do it like I, you know mm-hmm. your phone's got to be hanging on the wall all convenient these kids with their modern conveniences is kids. unacceptable you One, know two, i have to lug around my cell phone every day it's backbreaking work mm-hmm. but i do it because i believe in tradition yeah it's probably a phone and a case you know oh yeah yeah oh, absolutely ridiculous so anyway, <laughs> she throws out some uh, some not so subtle exposition that she is not planning on marrying this guy. And during the course of that conversation, she's like role playing with her best friend how she's gonna let the guy off. But Matthew Perry happens to be the first one in line and the closest to the payphone, and they strike up a conversation. Really, one thing leads to another. They end up drunk, uh, hungover, waking up in the morning together, knocking boots, yeah, naked. Yeah, there's really no foreplay, really. Like, it just goes from their conversation at the payphone to her car is parked crooked in his driveway. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Very they're waking urgently. up. Yeah, perhaps perhaps someone should have called an Uber. Yeah. Should have yeah. used, that, used that phone. Also, sidetrack here. Why do we say call an Uber? You don't call Uber. You don't. You don't. I'm going to push an Uber. I'm going <laughs> to... I'm going to tap that Uber. I'm going to tap an Uber. I feel like tapping an Uber is a euphemism for Ooh. exactly what just happened in this scene. Yeah. Like I You may be right. Like I won't tap an Uber. I went out, got a little tipsy. I tapped met, an Uber. Met some people, tapped an Uber, regretted it, shot a penicillin, yada yada, went to McDonald's. Now I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah, well, McDonald's. Um <laughs> Mickey D's. So fast forward a little bit here. They wake up. She she leaves quickly in the morning before he's really even awake. And he just kind of goes about his day. and Cuts to three months later. Yep. 
and he is still working on the club. They're making good progress. They end up getting a meeting with the wife of some commissioner. The commission board. Commission board. Uh, the wife of the head of the commission the board. Alcohol Beverage Commission. Yeah. Yeah. They're looking to get, I think, like a deal on their liquor license or mm-hmm. just make sure that everything goes. Kind of get it fast tracked. I think. Yeah. That kind of thing. And and so they're, for lack of a better term, schmoozing this woman. This is the woman played by Aunt Zelda. And schmoozing and boozing. Yes. Like to the point where like. There are some not-so-subtle indications that there may be a quid pro quo-style exchange of sexual favors for her in exchange for a good word for the board. Basically, (laughs) in exchange for a liquor license, he was going to tap an Uber. Yes. Yes. And that that is an Uber. Yeah. Like... Definitely, I don't think he. I don't think he was particularly interested in. Uh... Well, no, there was there was definitely a power dynamic going on where mm-hmm. she was in control of what was going on, and he was kind of uncomfortable with the direction that it was going. But his partner was like, "You need to do what you need to do. We need to get this." You know, she was an older woman. Well, not. I mean, older is maybe the wrong word, but she was. You know, she maybe was older 10, than him. 10, 20 years there. So know, is that year. what? Tapping an Uber means where it's like, you know, technically your Uber driver's like, get in or you're walking home. It's a ride on demand. Yeah. Whoa. That's it. <laughs> so she was tapping an Uber. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. So this is just going to be a thing now. Yeah. And we're going to say this all the time. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I should have um, called that Uber. <laughs> tapping an Uber. Um, so they're in the middle of the schmooze and booze and uh, ding dong. Someone's at the door. It's Selma Hayek. Surprise, I'm pregnant. Basically. She just whips it out on him. No pun intended. Like, she just was like, yeah, also, by the way, I'm pregnant, blah, blah, blah. So he obviously doesn't react super well. On top of being in the middle of this kind of high-profile meeting, he gets blindsided by this woman he hasn't seen in three months. Wanted to actually, like, contact her, have a relationship, you know, like follow up but she left without leaving her number and just in the middle of the night she was knock knock knocked up at the door <laughs> yes <laughs> that I, I think that was a that was an nwa song uh yeah, yeah i think it was a collab with paul mccartney though <laughs> yes it was it was definitely like 50 50 nwa and wings yeah <laughs> love take me down to the streets <laughs> Uh, yeah, so she leaves in not so great of a state because he didn't react kind of in the way that she was hoping. He chases her down. They end up in the situation where he says something to the effect of like, what can I do? And she said, you can come meet my family. Basically, what we're going to do is I'm going to introduce you to the family. And after this, I'm going to make something up that we broke up or whatever it happened to be. But I just want them to be able to put a face to the child's father when they're asking later on, oh, who is the child's father? Oh, remember, I brought him around that one time. So he's like, okay, name the time and place. I'll be there. And she's like, good, because my family's actually having a party right now and we're headed over there. And he's like, yeah, he completely drops any plans he had and goes right out. Which, Which is like his, bold move. Yeah, and his plans were to go to dinner with this woman who is in control of their fate. And he was just like, all right, fuck it. Let's go have dinner with your family. I don't like, think... it's it's hard to lay down when somebody's trying to tap your Uber. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sometimes you just gotta Mark, lay down and take it, though. Mark mm-hmm. is really, like, thinking deeply about this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't think too deep. It might hurt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Yeah, so he goes to the party, and, I mean, and it's it's the first introduction to a lot of characters, both for Matt Perry's character and for the viewer. Yeah. Um, basically, her entire family is there. She's got five brothers, an extremely hostile ex-boyfriend who's also a cop. She's got an extremely Catholic mother, and she's got a father with deep homicidal tendencies, it seems. And then she's got aunts, and she's got cousins, and there are babies involved, and it's it's loud and and raucous in like the best way. It's oh, yeah. it's it's like it's where life is happening, you know. And he is very unused to this. He is from this very like clinical upbringing in like upstate connecticut i don't know if connecticut has an upstate but if they did that's definitely where he'd be from very cold very waspy you know and like he like he's amazed that she has dinner with her family mm-hmm. and once a week yeah and, and he's like yeah i have dinner with my family maybe twice a year on holidays so this is a big fucking spoonful of family for him and he loves it he eats it up even though it's very awkward because the ex-boyfriend is there, the father is there, and he is nothing if not hostile. And all five brothers are there. All five brothers are there. But he's still, like, he, he stays in the ring and he boxes and it's fucking, it's, it's cool. Yeah, he holds a baby, baby spits on him, everything's beautiful. So, following this scene, Samahai drives him back to his car and this is on the Hoover, Hoover Dam. Dam. And the Hoover Dam is actually a through line through this whole movie. It's like a really significant thing. She drives over it very frequently, and every time she does, she makes a wish and throws a coin over the dam into Lake Mead. So she's about to pull away, basically forever, and he doesn't have her number, he has no way of contacting her, and she's about to pull away, and he jumps in front of the car, and basically professes his love to her, and says, I think we should get married right now. And they do. <laughs> yeah, they they go to the little wedding chapel. Very famous. You've seen it in movies. This movie. I saw it in this movie. Oh, you're right. So that's where I knew it from. That's where you knew it from. Got it. It all, it all makes sense now. It's all coming together. And she is walked down the aisle by none other than an Elvis impersonator. The real Elvis impersonator. Oh, yes. The one. The and only and he plants a very firm right. peck right on her face place, and he, you know, gets shoved off pretty quickly. Uh, they get married in Vegas in front of Elvis, and they go back to the honeymoon suite at... The Caesars? Uh, the Caesars, yeah. And it's this... Because that's where she worked, right? Yeah. It's this gorgeous, absolutely stunning suite with a balcony and a view, and it's fantastic. And, um... He wakes up the next morning, and she's gone. So he sort of has this not-again moment, and he gets up and sees her standing out on the balcony, and just is kind of like this sigh of relief, like, oh, thank God. Cut to the next morning. He is positively floating into work. It gets revealed that he got married, and the woman he is marrying is three months pregnant with his baby. And his friend is rightfully taken aback, and immediately skeptical about the likelihood of this panning out in his favor. And they're sort of discussing this while she is calling, and it is urgent, but he's in the middle of work, so he's trying to put it off. And you hear this honking, and the camera pans over to a Ford F-150 going about 40 miles an hour directly at them, ramps over some construction equipment, and lands in a pool of unsettled concrete. And her father gets out of the car with a baseball bat, threatens his life, and derides him for stealing his only daughter. It's 
fucking yeah it's, it's brutal it's brutal it's scary yeah and he ends up like throwing the baseball bat on the floor like or on the on the ground as if to like say like you're not even worth it like he he gets all up in his face and then promptly just leaves like i feel like it's also it's not just like you're not worth it it's like he just looks so defeated yeah. Like, there's a part of him that realizes that his daughter is half of this equation. And, like, she did this of her own free will. And he just hates that he's in a situation that there's nothing he can do. Yeah. And to do that, to, like, bash this dude's head in, would only drive his only daughter further away. Like, it's actually kind of an emotional scene. Yeah. Yep. What happens next? I, mean, I, would, I would say the next is basically a montage of early married life. She, she paints moved, his house. Yeah, she moves in with him. She paints the house. Gives it a much more homey feel. Distinctly, like, Mexican. she definitely, yeah, she brings her culture into the house. Like, the first time we see his house, it's very, you know, it's white walls, kind of very just bare. I think he opens his fridge once and there's just nothing in it. <laughs> um, but, but once she moves in and she kind of... She turns it into a home. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's exactly what she does. Yeah. yeah, Yeah, there's sort of a montage of them kind of getting to know each other which just sounds funny because they're married and that's part of the comedy is they're married already they have a kid on the way and here's a montage about like let's get to know each other let's let's get to uh learn all about all our quirks and shit and doing your typical like dating type stuff there's a very funny scene interspersed there where he goes out shooting in the desert with her five brothers and ex-boyfriend who are all armed with shotguns and in this scene, he is talking, not paying attention, and walking, and he walks into, like, a den of snakes. Rattlesnakes. Rattlesnakes, and they're everywhere. And all of the dudes, it's, it was more than just the six guys. Like, there, was, there were more than that. I don't know who else was, was supposed to be in this crew, but they all run up with fucking shotguns. And it's, like, ten seconds of them racking shotguns, yeah, and you just hear just the action... Like... <laughs> He's his head is just bouncing around as all these guns are cocking, and they open fire and blow up all the snakes. But he like rightfully freaks out and like runs into a pile of cactus, and then cuts to him coming back into the house, being basically carried. yeah carried by all of these like five guys and just pissed drunk on tequila and covered like sonic style in fucking spines i mean this dude is got so many fucking cactus spines in him I mean, he's a he's a pincushion basically yeah, yeah. It's, it's hilarious he's so drunk too and like just so out of it we gave him the tequila for the pain yeah yeah he, he's laying down on his stomach on the carpet and like he he's trying to like get just one more little like lick of the tequila and he can't get it to his face and he just like some of it just spills onto the carpet and he like laps it up like a like a cat or a dog <laughs> off the carpet. And of course she like kicks all their asses and like throws them out of the house because she blames them for him being in this state. And rightfully so. I mean, well, maybe not rightfully so, but she's like, I told you to show him a good time, not to kill him. And then she's like, whatever you do, don't turn over. I'm going to go get the tweezers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think the next scene is probably when his parents show up. Oh yeah, um, yeah. That that's like a whole thing. Where so mm-hmm. she she told her parents right away, and yeah. there was that scene where her her dad kind of almost takes him out with the truck, but her parents show up, and he's trying to like spin a yarn. You know, he the parents assume that she is the housemaid, which is super uncomfortable because it's like it's very racist. Yeah. 
very much. It's. I mean, it's meant to be uncomfortable. Like, that's, again, like, a lot of the punctuated tension in this movie. Like, there's a ton of it. And a lot of it with his parents is predicated on their prejudices. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's, it's like, cringy to listen to some of those lines. Yeah. So during the course of their, their conversation, it comes out that he never told his parents about her. And it kind of culminates to her running downstairs, and they end up telling the parents together, and you know, parents don't take it too well. No, but I gotta say, like, in rom-coms, I feel like it's so easy for somebody to just, like, flip out. Like, that's the end of it. That's, a, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I feel like this is the kind of thing that I could actually see getting that upset about. Like, if I married somebody and we were married for, like, a couple months and... Had a baby on the way. Had a baby on the way, and the person said that they didn't tell their parents about us, I could see, like, losing my absolute shit and being, like, done. Done. I'm done. Well, and his reasoning was, I didn't want to tell them over the phone. I wanted to do this in person. Which is totally a cover, like, that he thought yeah. of the last second. And, and you know, I thought about it for a second, and you're right. Like, big news travels fast, especially in today's day and age. You know, we have texts. You know, we can send a text real quick, and the other person can read it instantly. So we can reach anyone anywhere at any time. A little different in the 90s, but still not unreasonably different. He could have fucking called. Oh, yeah, Totally. So he he just chose not to because he didn't know what to say. And I wouldn't either, but you got to say something, man. Yeah, like I I, I like this scene because she had every right to get absolutely just like belligerently angry. And instead she, I mean, she was angry, but instead she was basically just like, well, tell him now. And she sort of sacked up and was like, I'm going to be the bigger person in this situation. Like, I'm not pleased with you, but we're still married and we're going to work this out, but you have to tell them right now. And yeah, no, that was kind of a, a neat scene in that regard. Yeah. It shows the differences between them really well. Um, she's definitely the stronger character of the two. Yeah. She's passionate. She's a firecracker. She makes rash decisions and she sort of like gets herself into and out of trouble sort of with her impulsivity. Mm-hmm. Um, he's more calculating. He's less decisive and gets himself into larger problems because he is unwilling to be like forthcoming with how he actually feels or what he actually knows which is i think there were well constructed like interpersonal dynamics mm-hmm. in this movie yeah. oh definitely so following this we had the the meeting of the parents very uncomfortable no, nobody oh. no, nobody wants to take that one <laughs> very very uncomfortable there was so both fathers were were very assertive in their displeasure with their kids decisions and it starts with them just kind of going back and forth about how you know how are you gonna you know have you thought this through how are you gonna raise this baby yada yada like basically you're clearly wrong we're the parents and we know best yeah but it quickly devolves into just kind of racist back and forth between the two dads and it is it's kind of difficult to watch. I assume it was difficult to watch in 1997. It's even harder in 2020. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's definitely cringy. And, you know, I could see some people getting bent out of shape about it. And it's not that you don't have a right to get, you know, a little bit bent out of shape about it, I guess. But, like, the whole point is to be cringy and to be, to be yeah. uncomfortable. So, like, heads up, that's in the movie. Like, it's kind of an important scene. Yeah, like, they weren't pretending like it was okay, though. Right, exactly. Yeah. They weren't They weren't giving it a pass. They were like, this well, is the, the uncomfortable situation mm-hmm. that these people, 
that love each other, the, this young couple, they're finding themselves in this really awkward situation. So they're having to overcome not only, and, and they say it sort of explicitly in this scene, like the her father says this, he's like, marriage is hard enough to get to work when everything is going in your favor. Throw on top of that, you know, like a cultural barrier or whatever it happens to be, a geographic barrier because, you know, he actually lives in New York and, and he's only out in Vegas for a minute throw these barriers on top of it i worry about whether or not this is tenable and then immediately it it pivots into the real world consequences not just some abstract like somebody saying like oh there's going to be cultural barriers oh there's going to be you know like it just immediately pivots into exactly what that is well and the happy couple goes home after this altercation and they're still arguing you know they're still having a conversation about what happened and they're both kind of respectively accusing and defending each other's parents. And then it just dissolves with both of them basically saying, you're not my favorite person right now. And they go their separate ways and then they make up over it. But you're right. It, it's it's very clearly like, oh, this is the first hurdle that they're going through together. Yeah, that, that's interesting. You're right. Because like all of the hurdles prior to this have been independent. Like, he fucked up when he didn't tell his parents. Or, like, she probably should have called him before three months. You know, yeah. like, these things were all, like, laid at one of their feet. But this is the first one where it's like, this just fucking sucks for both of us. And, like, we need to make it okay on mm. our own time. Because we're married and our families have to interact at some point. And yeah. they have to get along. Otherwise, it will be painful forever. Yeah. So following that, he ends up taking a trip to New York and his boss promises him what was basically been his career goal since he started at this company, which is a club in Midtown Manhattan. Well, again, not not to interrupt, but I think there is a scene before this scene where she decides that she's going to try to play ball with him. He wants to move to New York and she wants to stay in, in Vegas. And the the agreement that they sort of make is we'll stay in Vegas until the baby's born and then we'll give it a shot in New York. But the, the scene that I'll, I'll leave you back to describe plays into that and kind of builds off. of Yeah, that totally. That's thanks for putting that in, because that's actually a super important piece of this. And and it's actually kind of nice because like that scene where she concedes that and compromises is a direct result of an interaction she had with her mother, mm -hmm. where her mother was like, basically, like, marriage is about compromise. You need to find a middle ground. And so she does this basically as a gesture of good faith to try to work on that compromise thing because she's very hard-headed. So he ends up going to New York, has a, a an interaction with his boss where his boss offers him the development and opening of a club in Midtown Manhattan, um, which is basically what he's been working towards for his entire career. The problem is his boss wants him to open the club in three weeks in Las Vegas and then immediately come start development on the club in New York. So he thought it's it's like July. Yeah, July 1st is when he was due in Manhattan. Yeah, so it's like July. The baby's due in October. So he was supposed to be in Las Vegas until October and then... Now he's basically going to be in New York in like three weeks. So he both has to knuckle down in order to get this club done, but also it makes him a little bit distant and he doesn't know exactly how to tell her that um, the situation has changed, uh, which is a pretty big, pretty big misstep. 
Yeah. And so he, he just doesn't tell her for, I mean, it doesn't really go into like how long, but you kind of get the idea that it's, it's been days. It, it might've even been weeks since he found out. I think it was three weeks. Cause he said in the meeting in New York, I can get the club open in three weeks. And so he goes back and he immediately knuckles down and starts working. And then mm-hmm. the bigger sort of big reveal is at the opening of the club, like three weeks later, after a montage of sort of distance and, yeah. and late nights and early mornings and a lot of time away. Yeah. Yeah. When when he's introducing his wife to his boss, the boss just kind of congratulates them and says, oh, you know, it uh, looks like, you know, this time next week we'll be in New York or something to that effect. Yeah. This time next week, you'll both be New Yorkers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Ah! truly saying it in like a congratulatory way because he has no reason to believe that he wouldn't be honest with his wife yeah yeah uh it's it's again it's awkward and cringy and it's like it's uh but so she runs out of the club understandably and she takes off and the next time they interact is like a day or two later because she's she didn't come home and he had yeah he had gotten a call that she's in the hospital so he goes to see her in the hospital and she tells him that she lost the baby and like i don't want to see you anymore get the fuck out of my life and so he leaves he goes to new york she goes back to mexico well, kind of. She, I mean, she's still in Vegas, but she ends up going to see her... Uh, Abuelita. Yeah, her great-grandmother in Mexico, who's just an awesome character. I mean, she's yeah. like she's like simultaneously like a legend, like, like a local legend. Like, she makes the best food, and she's got the best advice, and she's super smart, and she's got this awesome wild spirit, and she's like... She's a Mexican Mr. Miyagi. That's it. She's a female Mexican Mr. Miyagi. Uh, and he has some second thoughts and uh he starts seeing all these signs around things that he he talks to a to he talks to a priest on the street um he sees a couple billboards sees some some children all of these which is significant because she's like through throughout the movie one of the one of the the common themes is like she's very catholic she believes in signs she believes in destiny and she believes like in order to find your destiny you have to follow the signs that the universe or god has laid out for you yeah and And he wants nothing to do with he does not believe in that at all and then he sort of comes around in this scene this revelatory scene where the priest is like there are signs everywhere and there's literally signs everywhere it's new york manhattan so he hops on a donkey, rides from New York to Mexico. Not, Basically, not literally. I but... mean, it's I mean, it's not that far. It's like it's like what four inches? Yeah, like from the, the, my map upstairs. It's like, yeah. it's like four inches from New York to. Well, Mexico. yeah, it goes like New York, like New Mexico, Mexico. Yes, yeah. I think that's the transition. Yep. And he ends up actually finding her great grandmother somehow. Yeah, um, he takes like a. He takes like a plane to another plane to like a bus to, to a donkey. A, to he, a does, donkey. he does ride a donkey. A burrow. Jump jumps on a burrow. Yeah. You have a face como un burro. <laughs> that that is a uh despicable me reference. Just gonna just gonna slide that in there and then we can continue. I only I only saw minions. Um <laughs> So he he makes it to grandmother. Uh grandmother just loves him up. You know, like just real, like just embraces him. It's it's She's really the warm. Sweetest, She's so nice. You know, I think she kisses him on the cheek, and she imparts some some wisdom in Spanish that he doesn't understand at all. Like she just straight up tells him, "Yeah, she went uh, back to Vegas to have the baby," and he's just uh uh uh-huh, uh uh-huh. has no idea what she said. <laughs> 
but he ends up leaving the small village and he has a conversation with her roommate and finds out that she's driving. He happens to be flying, so he's going to make it there before she does and kind of come full circle. He ends up waiting for her at the Hoover Dam. Yeah, which again, the dam is very special in this movie. That's like her favorite place in the world. Pretty damn spectacular, if you ask me. It is. It's a damn shame. It's... (laughs) Break the dam. Release (laughs) the river. (laughs) I just go fucking full tree beard on you there. Uh, (laughs) They come with fire. They come with axes. Burning, biting, cutting, hacking, burning. Varum. (laughs) Varum. Boot our room, little hawk. <laughs> <laughs> so he waits at the border of Arizona and uh, Nevada. 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 So Arizona. Arizona, which also could be in Middle Earth. That's true. <laughs> it's the middle. Uh, yeah. So he waits for her, and she shows up, and he basically jumps out in front of the car. Professes, again. yeah, again. Professes his love to her. Again. Again. Basically says. I loved you. It wasn't the baby that brought us together. I love you. Blah, blah, blah. And then in the middle of his, well, it's, like... It's important. Like, he still thinks that she isn't pregnant anymore. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. In the, in the, in the middle of him, like, professing this and saying, like, I love you, blah, blah, blah. He's like, what's wrong with your belly? <laughs> You're still pregnant. And um, she goes into labor. And she has the baby right there on the dam. In Arizona. In Arizona. That's a damn baby. Is one damn baby. Damn baby. She went into some damn labor. Some had, damn labor. Had a damn baby. Damn. Hoover. <laughs> Welcome to the dam. It's not a Hoover. Not a Hoover. This is the damn tour. I'll be your damn guide. <laughs> <laughs> from here to there. Yeah, and then, so they have the baby. They sort of, they reconcile. They get back together. They actually inadvertently get divorced because they did not contest the the divorce that was filed during this sort of three-month downtime. And they end up getting remarried at the very end in a special canyon. Would you say it's grand? I would. I'd, I'd give it like a like a six out of ten. Hmm. That's not that grand. It's like a... I'll check it out. It's a big old hole. You can store stuff there. A lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. Yeah. Rivers. So they get married. Uber there. Everybody's happy. Credits? Yeah, that's that's a that's a hot sticky Uber, but yeah, maybe. Yeah. Would you tap that Uber? I, you might have to. I would. If you got them all the way to the Grand Canyon, you might as well tap that Grand Canyon. What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> uh, then credits roll, really. I think that's Yeah, it. basically. It. They get married. Everybody's happy. Uh, Dude... I just can't get over how fucking hard Matt Perry killed it in this movie. He's so funny. Yeah. And Selma Hayek, like, I just thought she was so, she was so convincing. I, I really felt like this movie, she has a tendency to play amazing characters that don't have a ton of, like... Depth. Depth, yeah. It's not, it's not her. It's the character. Like, you know, she plays a lot of funny, creative, but one-dimensional type characters. Well, it's just like in Wild Wild West, you know, she played the shit out of that character, but that character was about an inch deep. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I have no reason to believe this, but I feel like Salma Hayek is probably a really nice person in real life because when I see actors and actresses get put in other people's projects, seemingly just because they want to work with those people, like like in Dogma, 
Oh. Like, I'm sure Kevin Smith wrote that part specifically for Salma Hayek because he wanted to work with her. Like, that kind of shit, it probably means you're a really cool person in real life, but those those roles tend to be very one-dimensional because they're they're sort of, like, glommed on to an existing narrative. Whereas this movie, or this, this role, it was a main role, it was very deep, and she was so convincing in it. She had such range. She emoted very well, not to sound, like, pretentious, but, like for lack of a better term, like her character was so emotional and you really picked up on it. Like it, it, it really, um, it was thick. Yeah. It was nice too. like at the beginning of the movie, they played up her looks, you know, she's Salma Hayek. She's, she's a, she's a very pretty lady. She is gorgeous. Yeah. Salma Hayek. Um, and the outfits that she was wearing in the beginning of the movie definitely like accentuated that. But I was, I was happy that they, that they kind of dropped that, pretty quickly and it, it became more about her character and what she was going through and, and less about what she looks like i think that added dimensions that she doesn't usually have because of the work that she has been given frequently maybe we know there's another aspect of this movie that i that i enjoyed the father her father yeah he's definitely like played up as this like man you don't want to cross you know like he's, he's a monster yeah he's a monster but in every scene that he's in he's far more reasonable and articulate than like they're like leading you to believe that he is even when he's at his worst like it doesn't he's seem down like a, to earth yeah it doesn't seem like a bad guy like he's just very protective of his family yeah and his his reasons why he thinks that it's nonsense for them to get married are like valid well-founded yeah yeah like if my daughter came home and was like i just married someone and i'm like oh and i'm pregnant who 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 who, who did you marry some guy that i just met right okay so, um... Where does he live? Yeah. I think I know a lawyer. <laughs> yeah. I think we can take care of this. Yeah. Yeah, her father was far more reasonable than his father was. Um, I felt. Her, I would agree. Yeah, his dad was, I think, more one-dimensional. He was just supposed to be this, like, douchey white guy in a cardigan. And that was kind of as deep as it got for him. Yeah, I think it attenuated a little bit in the end. Like there was like a, a a knowing nod in the in the helicopter, like in the end when he basically like leaves his family on this helipad to go and chase, chase his wife. His parents are like very transparently consenting to his doing this, um, not through anything they've said, but just for like looks and nods and shit. Um, but yeah, no, I think her dad was was a little bit a little bit more fleshed out of a character. The soundtrack of this movie was awesome. Oh, it's fantastic. It's so good. Mm-hmm. In typical rom-com fashion, like I think that uh, like one of the hallmarks of a good rom-com are just some like great feel-good beats. Yeah, and I feel like that's true in reverse. Like the hallmark of a bad rom-com is that it will be like explicitly missing that and mm-hmm. you don't you don't know why you don't like it, but I feel like that's an element of why bad rom-coms what makes them them. Yeah. It's like they're just not getting the vibe. And like music's a great way to just like lay down vibe. Mm-hmm. And this movie fucking killed it with that. Yeah, I don't know if there was a... I mean, I'm sure there was a score, but... Nothing... There was, and it was pretty good. But it was like, it it did what a score is supposed to do. Yeah, it was invisible to me mm-hmm. for this, this watch through. The thing I did like about the score was particularly early on in the movie, the music when we were in New York was very upbeat, very jazzy, very, you know, Frank Sinatra, Bobby Darin, and a lot of, you know, just that typical, like, Rat Pack sort of style. 
And then we cut to New Mexico. Nevada. Nevada, where she is at. And it's this very melodic, very soft. It's it's just very clear that it's a different environment. And then, obviously, when we're in Vegas, you know, they're playing, you know, Ain't That a Kick in the Head and, you know, all these classics from the 30s and 40s, which are just synonymous with Vegas. So the, the music definitely played a, a pivotal role in the feel of the scenes, particularly the somber scenes. You know, it was very emotional, very almost operatic. I just, I like to pay attention to the score and I, I just, I get a lot out of it if the score matches the feel. If it feels out of place, then I feel out of place and I'm immediately pulled out of the movie, you know, the immersion of it. So I really enjoyed that they put they put it all together very well. Nobody likes having to pull out. No. When I'm tapping it's, an the, Uber... The, the movie is... Come on! <laughs> it's par for the course. <laughs> you know what? That's fair. This... <laughs> that's fair. Uh, there was one thing that I noticed, and it kind of goes into, I think, a little bit with the um, with the soundtrack that you were just talking about, the the, the contrast between the, the settings. Um, in the beginning, we're in New York. When it switches over to Las Vegas, like, the whole color palette changes. And it was something, like, I just noticed. The sky was, like, a warm blue, you know, like, you could... Just like with the music like you were talking about, I felt like the, the visuals just really indicated it in a way that it was very intangible in that in that sense. Yeah, I don't know. As far as like the line items for stuff we liked, I feel like the, the hallmark of a lot of good rom-coms is just your elements need to be not noticeable. Yeah. You know, like you shouldn't be going into it with the idea that like you're writing this rom-com to like have the best dialogue in the world or like the best directing or the most creative anything. Odds are basically if you can if you can do all of those things and not have them be noticed you've won yeah um it's a very low bar but you can definitely fuck it up but yeah i feel and i feel like this movie nailed it in that the elements that are rom-com specific stand out in a good way Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is there anything we didn't like i didn't okay this is not a criticism of the movie in 1997 this is more just Again, some we've, we've already danced around it, but like some of it feels a little bit dated. And again, I didn't like that aspect of it, but I don't hold it against the movie because again, it came out in 1997. This the the humor that they were using was very 90s and, you know, there there wasn't any malice or contempt to it. It was funny. Yeah. That was I feel like it hasn't changed though. Like I feel like the idea that it was like a different joke in 1997, I don't know if that's accurate. I feel like it's the same joke. It was meant to be just as cringy back then as it is now. It may seem even more cringy now, but ultimately, like... I feel like less people could get away with it now. Yeah, but I, I don't think the jokes would be in... Or some of the jokes would be as in your face as they, they were in this. Could be. I it's, think that's part of, like, being a moviegoer is just, like... Yeah. You know, be, being you know having a thick enough skin to be able to you know watch these kind of things yeah let it be said though i i was never like offended or anything i just you know i just felt for me personally some of the jokes were difficult <laughs> yeah um, they're cringy yeah yeah i um, will i will say the the creativity aspect of this movie sort of a double-edged sword we we sort of talked about it with rom-coms you know like you can't be too creative with a rom-com because it's gonna stand out in sort of a bad way so you really gotta nail it um, but as far as the creativity 
goes, even if I hadn't seen this movie, I feel like I could see what was coming next. Uh, but that's sort of the hallmark of a good rom-com. So You want that formula. Yeah, you want it to be, you know, you want the guy to get the girl. You want the girl to get the guy. You know, you want it to be funny. You want it to be romantic. And of course, he was standing on the Hoover Dam in the rain. We've all seen that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's called The Matrix, people. Right. Look it up. Best rom-com of the decade. Yeah. Neo. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I hear what you're saying. <laughs> um, I did not care for the special effects in this movie. No. You know, uh, I, I didn't even notice them. I thought the, the dodging bullet scenes were pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I must have missed those bullets. He missed them, too, as, <sighs> as, as far as I could see. I thought Keanu Reeves killed it in this movie. Yeah. Also... Yeah, all of the hallucinogens that I took before we watched this movie are really, really affecting my is, perspective is right now. Is that what those mushrooms were? No, those were pizza toppings. Oh! No, I'm, I'm talking about the other drugs. Gotcha. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> no, there really wasn't much to not like about this movie. It's, it's delightfully palatable. It's, it is. It's hard not to like a it's, rom-com. It's a. It's the like not to not to push the pizza metaphor here, but it's the pepperoni pizza of movies. Mm-hmm. Like straightforward. You know what you're gonna get. No complications. Like fucking watch it and enjoy it. It's not gonna blow your socks off, but it fucking it jams. Yeah. Uh, are we ready for quotes? Yes, we are ready to transition into quotes. Um, I'm going to sheepishly say I didn't have a whole lot of, well, I didn't have any quotes this time around. It's not because this was not a quotable movie, but honestly, I think it's because I was enjoying it and I wasn't thinking terribly critical about it. So, you know, I I will have quotes going forward. I'm sorry, listeners. I know you love my quotes more than anyone else's quotes, Uh, but... I, for me, I, I was kind of swept up in the movie, and I didn't really want to to take a whole lot of notes with this one. So, shame. Yeah, shame me. Shame. Shame me. Boo! Boo! <laughs> Wendy Tesselberger. Who I say? Boo! I thought we were doing a Princess Bride. Bow to if you want. Bow to the Queen of Slime. To the Queen of Filth. To the Queen of Refuse. <laughs> Muck. <laughs> but uh, I imagine both of you have quotes in spades. Yeah. Out of you. So show me them diamonds. Uh, okay, I started at three. My, this one's probably my favorite. So the day after they get married and he comes back to the construction site, you know, kind of kind of walking on air, nobody really knows that he's married yet. He's, he's just told his best friend and they're discussing it. And his, like, assistant, I think, or maybe she's, like, the the manager or something, um, she's she's beneath him in, in the hierarchy, but, but she's an important character. <laughs> she comes out of the trailer and she's like... Alex, there's a woman on the phone for you. She says she's your wife. And he's like, ask her if I can call her back. Oh, and get her phone number. (laughs) Get my wife's phone number for me. I don't know what my wife's phone number is. If you could jot that down for me, that would be fantastic. Thanks. That would be great. Uh, Another one was... In the, the beginning of the film, he, like I, like we said, he enters this building carrying this just fucking enormous fish, and it this this like taxidermy fish, and he walks into this holiday party and somebody's like, "What's with the fish?" And he turns and he's like, "Oh, it's a uh, keychain." <laughs> yeah. and he delivers that so quick, like which is a very Matt Perry type line, definitely. Like like just dripping in sarcasm. Like, oh, it's a fish. It's a fish. <laughs> It's a keychain. It's a keychain. Um, and then 
my last one's actually a little bit more serious. This is at the party, at the end of the party when he first meets Isabel, Selma Hayek's character's uh, family. He's like reflecting on the party. He realizes how much fun he had, how connected he felt. And he's thinking about basically their plan where he's never going to see any of these people again. And she is going to, in quote, break up with him um, and just have this baby. And he's thinking about it whilst talking to her. And he just says they're going to hate me, aren't they? Hmm. And it's just so heartbreaking because like, it, it's it's not like a super duper sad scene. It's actually kind of a happy scene, if anything else. But it's like this sad happiness where like, he's realizing that these people who he's only spent one night with, but he already cares about and he already felt a connection to are going to think about him for the rest of their lives as basically the scum that knocked up their daughter and left. And he was, he's crushed by that notion. And, and rightfully so. I mean, you feel a genuine human connection like that. And you feel like those people are going to hate you because of something that you didn't actually do. It's just like this weird circumstance. And like, due to the way that they would react to the truth, like you have to lie to them. Like that's, that's tough. Well, and the, the line that she says in response to that is just as powerful in, you know, it shows how much she cares about him. He says, they're going to hate me, aren't they? And she immediately says, no, I won't let them. Yeah. And then she walks away and starts cleaning up after the dinner. And it's like, she very clearly cares deeply for him. And she is not going to throw her entire family at him. You know, she's not going to put him through that. It's it's her sacrifice for him. Yeah, she's not going to throw him under the bus. Right. Um, or the, she's not going to throw him under the trambia. Yeah. I had three quotes as well. My first quote, after he walks into the uh, the holiday party carrying the ginormous fish, his buddy finds him and he's talking about what's going on. And he says, hey, Charlie got Tokyo. And he was like, no, I got Tokyo. And he's like, listen, we can't talk about this here. And they walk down the hall and he says, you know, Charlie got Tokyo and, and you're going to end up with Las Vegas. And he's like, uh, no, I don't think so. And he's like, here. And they, they walk into a broom closet and they He's talk like it out. He's progressively pushing them into smaller rooms. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, this isn't private enough. So they, they walk into this broom closet and shut the door and they're talking about their plan. And he's like, hey, if you if you nail this in Las Vegas, we could get Midtown. And all of a sudden they're both super excited and they hug it out. And that's when the door opens and it's their boss. Yeah. And he says, you know, we have conference rooms, right? To which Alex, the main character, he says, he just really needed a hug. And Jeff responds, the holidays, they're just so hard. <laughs> the boss opens the door. Yeah. The two employees are like in the, the broom closet. In a firm embrace. Yeah. yeah it, it's not just the boss either. Like you look behind the boss yeah. and it's like the entire room is at like the Christmas party. peeking in at those two men <laughs> holding each other. It is funny. In a broom closet. My second quote is right before they walk in to meet the family. Her littlest brother walks out and they talk and, you know, he he introduces himself. And then the brother says, does dad know about him? She says, no. (laughs) And I wasn't going to come tonight. (laughs) Implying that, oh, dad is going to roast him more than the tamales. I would have missed the show. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And um, my my last quote in following with uh, Colin's pattern is a little less hilarious. Um, when the dad shows up at the construction site and parks in the unsettled concrete, 
gets out, threatens his life with a bat, you know, and he delivers this speech about, you stole my only daughter, and at the end of it, right before he drops the bat, he says, you are not a man, you are just a thief, and then drops the bat and gets in his truck and drives away, and it just leaves you with this, oh, oh, my stomach hurts. He's just so defeated at the end of that. Yeah. It's, it's hard to watch. Yeah. Like, you almost get the idea that, like, Dad decided that like, he's not even worth beating down because he's he's just a pathetic excuse for a He's a not man. a man. He's just a thief. Yeah. He, he swept in, stole his daughter, and drove away. And there's just nothing he can do about it. Yep. Like, he is helpless in this situation. Uh, we Laura Dern. Do we have anything else? Are we ready to, to rate this? Let's rate it. Okay. I think we're Lurdern. I'm going to rate this thing. Lurdern with her Morton toe. <laughs> That'll never die. There It'll it is. Never die. Never die. Um, okay, I'll Goonies start it never off. say die. <laughs> we should put the Goonies on the list. Truffle um, shuffle. Yes, because nobody has seen the Goonies. Nah. Nah. <laughs> What's the Goonies? We should put We should put a Star Wars on there. I will say no one's seen the Goonies recently. Yeah. Um, anyway... <laughs> My rating, I'm going to go solid 8.94 chihuahuas. Wow, that's high. That's solid rating. That is. Wait, 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 wait. Did I say 8.94? Yeah. Yes. I'm sorry. I meant 7.94. Okay. I, was, I was thinking like we're we're close to 8 here. I didn't want to crap uh, past that threshold. Man. You want to crap that threshold? I didn't want to crap that threshold. <laughs> Uh, no, 7.9. Do you think if we react again, he'll drop it to a 6.94? It's <laughs> possible. It's, uh, go ahead. Let's play this out. No. 7.94. I meant 6. <laughs> I meant 6. <laughs> no, yeah, no, 7, 7.94. Uh, Chihuahuas, Chihuahua, it's like the only dog you see in this movie. But the Chihuahua was also one of the signs that Alex sees when he's in New York to, uh, to, to go back to, uh. I believe it's pronounced Chihuahua. Chihuahua. What the fuck is that? That's how you pronounce it. I believe it's. I, 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 maybe, yeah, I was going to say maybe if Michael Jackson was trying to say Chihuahua, it would come out like that. Okay. Uh, uh yeah, you circle back. Yeah. this. <laughs> so I am very similar. I was gonna give this a seven point eight. Trambias. Seven point eight. Yeah. Did you mean six? I, no, I, I, eight point eight. <laughs> Always go the other direction. Ah! Wait, eight point eight. Yeah. Oh, That's it's, it? it's definitely a nine point eight now. <laughs> oh, peer pressure. No, but definitely a seven point eight. Trambias. Mm. Say that again. Trambias. Mm. Tamazula. Trambia. Tamazula. Trambia. And right. the bus is over there. What the hell is a trambia? <laughs> it's that bus over there. <laughs> uh, okay, so I'm going to give this movie 6.9 bottles of tequila. Oh. See, that surprises me, because you went into this talking about how you felt nostalgic about this movie. Oh, I love this movie. Um, but you said a 6-9? Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. He's more critical than we are. That's fair. No, I mean, you know, I, I really jam with it. I mean, I feel like 6.9 is like a... Oh, it's very solid. That's like a that's like a solid, solid rating. But can we pressure you into going up or down? 
Yes, but I only move logarithmically, so uh. I will go from a 6.9 to a 7.6 to an 8.1 to an 8.25 to an 8.31. Four? And you'll, you'll, just, you'll progressively be gaining less each time. Okay. Okay, that's math. I'm, I'm not going to tell you what my limit is, but... The limit does not exist. Yes, we need to call Bradley Cooper. Limit left. See, that's another Mean Girls reference, just so you know. So it was a 6'9"? Six 6'9". Nine? Six nine. What was the unit of measurement? Uh, bottles of tequila. Tequila. Uh, Chihuahua. Ch- <laughs> <Jambia>. <laughs> all right, is that all we have? I believe that's it. Mm. That is all for the All Crap Review. Thank you for listening. If you have any other ideas for movie reviews, please email us at 3... That is the number three, men and a basement at gmail.com. You can also contact us if you want to tap any of our Ubers. Um, or if you you want a copy of our single channel. <laughs> <laughs> I, I still don't know how I feel about this, but uh, I feel pretty good about it. You can also find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And until then, I am Colin McLeod. Mark up. J- Action Jackson. J- Action Jackson. J- Action Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we lowered Ern? I think we're lowered Ern. Alright, we'll see you in cyberspace.